Welcome to Books on Air, the podcast that tells the story behind the book. It includes insights from authors about how they compose their work, what inspires them, and what they hope you'll take away from their book. Here's your host for this episode of Books on Air, Lorna Gladstone. Hello, I'm happy to welcome Martha Emily Bellinger to the show today. She is extremely interesting for a number of reasons. One is that the book we're talking about mostly today is called The Two Ruths. It is about a lesbian um, relationship that started in the 50s. And as many of you will remember well, the 50s, 60s, even 70s and beyond were difficult for women in general and women's rights were a far cry from where they are today. And for lesbians, the acceptance, I think, came even after there was sort of a general society acceptance of gay men. So there are many different fascinating and important issues for us to discuss today. And I just want to say before we go on that the novel, again, that we're discussing primarily is The Two Roots, but there were have been two succeeding novels about uh, the continuing story. Uh, the second was She Who Is Without Sin, and the third, which has come out only recently in last January, is Sappho in Shining Armor, and I would recommend all. Uh, she also wrote her memoir, which I have not looked into much nor read, but I'm sure is incredibly fascinating, called Robe to Robe. Most of these can be found at Amazon.com, and uh, Barnes & Nobles also carries uh, many of them in both audio form and paperback, as well as hardback. So uh, welcome, please. May I call you Martha? Yes, please do. Yes. Okay. So where I'd like to start is you, in many ways, are the core person. You're the Ruthie of the two Ruths in the novel, The Two Ruths. But there are also ways in which you're very different. But I'd like to start by asking you uh, to talk a little bit about what your experience growing up in upstate New York in a farming community and Ruthie's experience had in common. Okay. Well, they tell you, you know, to write what you really know. And what I knew was the following that I'd grown up on this dairy farm in upstate New York. And um, later in life, um, after my father actually died, I really uh, understood that Ruthie was my father's second cousin. And she had run a dairy farm in the 50s and 60s all by herself. Actually, not all by herself because she meets Ruth. And uh, Ruth moves in with her to help her take care of her mother. And then they become um, partners. And uh, that's the core basis of the two Ruthies. They're very different in some ways, but they love each other very much. And um, Ruth is a Smith College graduate who in this book also initially takes um, some hits for having a veteran coming back from the war, taking her place as a teacher. And so she has to leave to go off. And that's how she eventually finds Ruthie. Okay. First, before we go uh, into any more in, in this direction, a bit about how your life correlates with this. And 
a little bit about your educational path, because that too is very interesting and becomes involved with another major pattern in your life and the two roots, which has to do with faith and religion. So tell us, I know, I believe you went, did you go first to Boston? No, I went to Syracuse University. After we moved off the farm, we went to a small city, Watertown, New York, and upstate New York. And from there, from high school, I went to Syracuse University and actually majored in political science. And I was going back and forth between whether actually to go to uh, law school. Uh, and I sort of had a uh, religious renaissance in my life, uh, an experience that convinced me to be uh, look into the ministry. And so uh, from there, I got a scholarship to Princeton Seminary. And I transferred all of my credits and my former uh, partner, who is now deceased, and I moved to Boston and I graduated from Boston University School of Theology, which is a United Methodist related seminary. Um, and then after not wanting to come out in the closet and being so um, lonely with not having my partner with me, um, we uh, both, she was in the ministry too, um, 70 miles away from me, but we both decided to come to California and we both studied for the law and became lawyers. Okay, so stop for a moment and let's backtrack just a little bit. Uh, when were when did you finish? What year did you finish? And when did you leave the United Methodist Church? In 1978. I was ordained in 1974. So I had four years and I was in the pastorate. I didn't, um, this is one of the interesting things about my life journey, I wasn't absolutely sure um, that I was a lesbian. Um, I, Growing up in a small town, nobody ever talked about anything like that. And I really didn't think much about it until I actually got in high school and realized um, I really loved my best friend. <laughs> Nothing happened between us um, intimately. But um, then when I got to college, I realized I had fallen in love with my roommate and my resolution to that was to move to the opposite end of the campus. And, but uh, during this time I was still dating men and it wasn't until my first year of seminary at Princeton that I met my first partner. And, and that also changed your relationship to the church at that time. Yes, it did to the church, but not to, not to the creator. Um, God, um, that I, I've never, ever felt fortunate. I've been fortunately never in a position where I thought that I was inferior, that God didn't love me, and that I wasn't just as important and valuable as anybody else. And I know that's a big issue for a lot of people, a lot of LGBTQ people. Uh, let's jump more to the present. But you found a way back to the church. And one of the things that's important about that is not just your experience, but how the church changed. And how, because your path has been uh, a path of change and development, educationally, academically, um, in terms of your relationship to the church. And also, as you moved from one profession into law. Just tell us a little bit what happened as the church changed and what the environment, maybe even a little bit about like the decade um, changes in how the experience of being gay affected you, 50s, 60s, 70s. 
and up to the point where you started in the law? Well, when I left the ministry and came to California to study the law, I really was away from the church for a long time, about 13 years. It wasn't until 1991 that I decided to go back to church again. And I first went to uh, the United Church of Christ, which is an open and affirming denomination and helped found actually the gay fellowship of that church. And then I thought, well, the particular Methodist church here in Claremont is extremely progressive and they're open and affirming and on record as doing so. But our denomination hasn't gotten there yet, as you know. And that's a very disappoint, a very big disappointment to me. And let me say that my relationship to the church is still tenuous. Okay. I'm still wondering. Um, I, I don't think the church as it's now organized, and I'm talking about most churches, is meaning any longer uh, really meaningful or helpful to the millennial Generation Z people, and certainly not an open and welcoming place uh, still for the LGBTQ people. So that's that's a very important element of of your path. Now, yeah. or in the two roots, uh, tell us a little bit about the path that the two roots follow. Yeah, well, I grew up. Uh, I am Ruthie. Yes, yes. <laughs> and um, I I grew up in a small Methodist church uh, on a little uh, town in upstate New York near a farming community, and that becomes Four Corners in this book. And there was a Methodist church there, and my parents were um, very faithful and saw that we went to church every Sunday. We went there. We went to Sunday school. We went to Sunday, and then we sometimes that life that was also life in a small community. Yes, it is. It's the social social yeah. life. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the church was very important to me when we moved to Watertown, New York. We I continued to participate. Um, in the church activities. But when I got to Syracuse, you know, we're talking 1968 to 72, a huge period of change. And again, I didn't, I didn't really attend chapel very often, once in a great while. Um, and I was meeting people of different faiths that I'd never interacted uh, with. And my roommate was Jewish, and I was very, very happy to go to temple with her and see what that was like. And I took a course in Buddhism, which changed my thinking and just opened my mind to, um, you know, a more metaphorical interpretation of the scriptures. But what really always hung with me were the teachings of Jesus. Kind um, of so human, human interaction. Yeah. yeah. Right. And these are things I noticed that in um, the two Ruthies, that the tone of the novel is one of kindness. It's just, yes. it has a very gentle feel the way it's written. It has both simplicity and gentleness that drive it. Uh, it's never harsh, it's never, and I'm not talking about content in the sense of, oh, this kind of thing never happens, but rather in the language you chose to use, your your the way, the phrasing, the style, uh, it reflects that kindness. And I think that's one of the strengths of the novel. My whole family was like that. They were, they were kind people. You know, we, we didn't speak the same language when it came to the issue of homosexuality. Um, my parents came to accept me and my part, current partner um, very much. But um, 
we certainly weren't on the same place uh, with that issue. But otherwise, uh, you know, I, I had more than one person always tell me when they met my parents, oh, they're just such kind people. <laughs> and well, course, uh, you are, too. I mean, that well, is clear. Yeah. And I, the novel. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that was reflected. And Ruthie, uh, the real Ruth um, cousin, second cousin, she was um, a little bit um, more farm woman rough than maybe I was, but she was also very kind. And, um, you know, so kindness uh, is important. And I realized that all of us do more and more all the time as we see these horrific things that are happening. If, if we could just take a moment to be more kind to one another. And there really, there really seem to be two, maybe even three or four trends, both uh, in the novel and in your life um, that have to do with what it is to be a gay woman in, uh-huh. in different times uh, uh, what it is, what you did, uh, and we'll talk about this in a moment, as a, as a lawyer, as a lawyer, as a, a judge to help change women's rights and especially LGBT rights um, in a significant way. And then also the belief and just an innate uh, sense that uh, of expression, that the expression is always kind, and that this is part also of the religion. Yes, the teachings of Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, so it all melts and melds into each other. Yes, yeah, yeah. And I think that's the one thing that we all need uh, to grasp is... um, it doesn't matter so much, even if you believe in God or not, as far as I'm concerned, you're as important and valuable and whether you believe in the creator or not. Um, but we were meant, all of us were actually meant here to come to earth to serve others and to be humble and to see how we could serve. So that was always my intention with both of my professions was try to help other people. Tell us now a little bit about the how you have significantly and it's very something clearly to be very proud about it really reading about the the um uh as a superior court judge the things you were able to do and change is extraordinary and if you could just give us some examples because you did so much and I should tell everyone that you're retired now though I have to say looking at you you don't look old enough to be retired (laughs) Well, that's a problem with me. I, I I probably haven't taken retirement the best. Sometimes I think I retired from the court too soon. But at any rate, I feel that this is the best way to say it. I was devastated, really, when I left the church. Nobody knew that I was a lesbian, and I left voluntarily. You know, and, and that was, again, tell us what year that was, because that's 1978, important. 1978. So... Basically, from nineteen in the from the fifties into the late seventies, um, uh, your life was a secret. Your real life was a secret, uh, and uh, things had not really opened up for no, women. No. no, yeah. And I actually went through counseling when I got out here 
feeling um, badly that I didn't come out when I was in the church. And the nice uh, gentleman who was my therapist, uh, had a PhD in theology and psychology, said, Martha, it's just as well you didn't because you wouldn't have been anything but a martyr at that time. In 1978, it wouldn't have changed anything. But what happened was um, God made it possible, I believe, for me when I went into the law to help more people children and families than I probably ever could have ever reached as a minister, literally thousands of people over the course of 20 years. And I volunteered and did assignments in the Superior Court that were considered very humble and non-prestigious. I wasn't Lance Edo, I know him, but I never, uh, you know, tried to um, get those big uh, media assignments. It was always about abused and neglected children, people that were divorcing, um, juvenile delinquency. I became an expert in that area. It was always to um, try to help others. And so most every single day that I headed off to work again, it wasn't a job. It was, you know, my vocation and it was a passion of helping others and particularly kids and and women, um, you know, I, I, I handle a lot of domestic violence cases, and uh, you can figure that out if you if anybody got to reading the last novel, um, you know. But at any rate, um, that that's I see. I it took me a while to see because I was asking when I first got here, and sometimes a couple of times even sitting down on my couch and sobbing as I was going through law school, Lord, why am I here? You know, what, what, what's this, what's the meaning of this? How does this all connect up? And now at 71, but way before that, um, actually, while I was on the bench, I figured out what had happened here. I was on a spiritual journey and, and uh, my life focused on other people. <laughs> so tell us um, as simply as you can, um, because it's complex, uh, how you see the situation of women's rights and specifically lesbian rights today? And how has the perception changed and how has it not? Well, I'm distressed. What, what would the characters in your novel say if they were sitting next to you? They would say, uh, my goodness, you haven't made more progress than that. I am a lesbian, but I'm a lesbian feminist. I was a feminist before I knew I was a lesbian. And um, there really is just uh, so much um, murder and harm that still happens to women uh, because of a patriarchal society. And there are not enough resources allocated to women to help them succeed. So I'm very disappointed about that. And I love beautiful women and I don't mind seeing them in stiletto shoes and lipstick lesbians and all that sort of thing. But it still seems to me as one who lives near Hollywood that we still focus too much on the physical beauty of women. I think maybe that's starting to change a little bit, but um, I, I, I think Ruth and Ruthie would say, oh, well, it's, it's a shame that it's nice that you can openly get married now. Um, and it's nice since the last Supreme Court ruling that they can't fire you from your job. But we're being, you know, we're being um, women 
um, whether they're lesbian women or straight women, we, we still have a, a long way to go and we're always behind everybody else. I think that that ties up the interview quite well. Um, and that the best thing that the audience can do at this point is probably buy all four books and start reading. Uh, I think that it is whether you've considered or had any contact with uh, lesbians or not makes no difference here. Whatever you think personally um, about it or whether you have a comfort zone with it or not makes no difference here. These are books about humanity and about how we treat each other. And I hope that you will pick up the two Ruths, and then yes. she who is without sin. And then, because I'm sure you're going to love these, go on to Sappho and Shining Armor and uh, pick up the memoirs. You'll learn a lot and see a lot. And and they're not overly salacious in any way. No, good point. The, Very good point. The two Ruths is a good place to start. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Um, and again, our guest today has been Martha Emily Bellinger former Superior Court judge working in especially in women's rights and also for LGBT issues. And thank you for being with us today. It's been a pleasure. You really deserve enormous admiration for who you are and what you've done. Thank you. Thank you. I didn't do it alone. (laughs) A lot of people are along the way that helped me. Thank you. Nice. Nice to talk with you, Lorna. Good talking to you.